Thank you, Miss Sarah, and thank you, part of the Father family. I love coming to a place that has a name like Heart of the Father. <laughs> It'd kind of stink if you walked in and nobody looked at you and said hello, because you guys, you guys bear a name. You bear a name. Names are important to God. I'm going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Names mean something. And uh, I believe it's God's heart that when people walk in here, they feel his heart. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart to the elders and uh, the family of God here. We've, we've been welcomed. We've had an amazing weekend, and we feel like we've connected relationally. And um, that's wonderful. just want to tell you a little bit about myself, and then we're going to dive into the word My name is Scott Volk. I run a ministry called Together for Israel. I'm a full-blooded Jewish believer in Jesus, and I am married to a full-blooded Arab believer in Jesus. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And uh, we've been married 31 years. We've got five kids. So my kids have a little bit of Isaac and a little bit of Ishmael in them. They're not confused at all. As a matter of fact, it's wonderful, and I think it's a picture of what God's doing in the body of Messiah. White, black, Jew, Gentile, Jew, Arab, one new man in Messiah. And when God looks down, he doesn't see Scott the Jew and Sarah the Gentile or, or uh, Jeremiah the Floridian and Scott the North Carolinian. Or this person from Father's Heart Church and this person from Paul's Heart's Church. He sees his body. And that's what is so wonderful. You know, I, um, the name of our ministry is Together for Israel. We exist to support Arab and Jewish believers living in the land of Israel. There's a biblical mandate on the church that we're called to provoke Israel to jealousy. And for so long through the centuries, if you were part of our conference, you would have heard a history, an unfortunate history of the church where Israel is concerned. So when my dad got saved, came to Jesus as, as his Messiah in the, in the 70s, his father said that if he didn't recant his religion, that he would no longer be his son. I remember when my uncle came into town, my uncle Jewish hippie, graduate of an Ivy League school and moved to California to be a pot-smoking Jewish hippie cab driver, has an encounter with Jesus on the streets of Berkeley, California, comes back to Brooklyn, New York to tell his Orthodox family that Jesus is the Messiah, and my grandfather said, that's it. I'm going to have a mock burial service for you. I'll never talk to you again. Well, as the Lord had it, both my grandparents accepted the Lord before they passed into eternity. But, but to my unsaved Jewish grandparents, the sign of the cross was the sign of uh, hatred towards Jews. And you might say, oh, Scott, that's, that's pushing it. Well, my, my grandparents were around when their relatives and friends were marched into gas chambers by cross-bearing men who would go to church on Sunday and exterminate Jews on Monday. Crazy. You might say they're, they're not true Christians. I agree with you, they weren't true Christians. No true follower of Jesus would, would do that. But yet, 
the cross to a Jew is the sign of a religion that's trying to convert them or kill them. And so our heart is to present Jesus who gave his life on that tree not only for us, but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He actually came. He himself said, I've come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So we're trying to take that cross and preach the message of the cross to men and women in Israel. And I want to just show you a quick video. Uh, but before I do that, I want to tell you just a little bit of a funny, true story. My, my wife, when we first got married, Seinfeld was my favorite show. I don't know. Anybody watch Seinfeld? Okay. You, you kind of have to have a little Jewish humor to watch Seinfeld. My wife never understood Seinfeld until she visited my Jewish grandparents in South Florida. We lived in, in Phoenix, Arizona, and we flew down to South Florida to visit my grandparents. It was like a big Seinfeld episode. And, and so she, she, she understood Seinfeld after one visit to the Jewish Mecca of South Florida, Fort Lauderdale. But this is a true story. This really happened. It was 5 a.m. I was living in Phoenix, Arizona. My Jewish grandparents were living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. This is about 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. This is before the days of caller ID, the days when you had, you didn't have, we didn't even have cell phones. We just had these big phones that jarred you out of your sleep at 5 in the morning. So my phone rang at 5 a.m. Both Beth and I get jarred out of bed. We thought, certainly this is an emergency call. I picked it up, and it was the voice of my grandfather with his thick New York accent. I said, hello? He said, I'd like to order a prescription for my wife, Claire. And I was like, what? So he raised his voice. He said, I said, I'd like to order a prescription for my wife, Claire. So I said, who are you calling? He said, Walgreens. I said, Grandpa, this is Scott. And he said, what are you doing at Walgreens? <laughs> what are you doing at Walgreens? He lived 1,500 miles away from me and thought I picked up the Walgreens telephone because certainly he couldn't have accidentally hit the wrong speed dial button. But that's, that's my Jewish family. I think it actually speaks a little bit to the psyche of Jewish people. Jewish people are interesting. <laughs> and yet God has chosen the Jewish people to be the very race that would, and ethnicity that would birth the Messiah. Isn't that incredible? That when you look at the first chapter of the New Covenant, the New Testament, in the book of Matthew... It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. A Jew. He was born a Jew. He lived a Jew. He died king of the Jews. And he's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And for a church to grab hold of the importance of that will buy it naturally, something's going to happen in our hearts where Israel is concerned. There's going to be a desire. Wait, we've got to reach Israel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16. It's the power of God to all who believe, to the Jew first 
and also to the nations. Well, we're here this weekend. It's been an incredible weekend. But as a, as a Jewish believer in Jesus, I didn't have a heart for Israel until 2005. I took my first trip to Israel. I've been there over 30 times since then. And I brought a small group of people, and I told the folks in Israel when we were going that I didn't want to just see the sights. I wanted to interact with people. So we, we spent half a day at a soup kitchen, ser- soup kitchen serving soup to poor and needy people in Tel Aviv. We spent half a day on an army base folding, just organizing one big, big room of stuff. And then we spent half a day at an underprivileged children's center. And when we, we were bearing gifts for Hanukkah to the kids, 15 kids from the poorest families in Tiberias, this after-school underprivileged children's center. When we walked in, I look at, looked at these kids' faces, and my eyes filled with water because I heard the scripture in my heart, in as much as you've done it to the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it to me. And I felt like I was looking literally at the least of Jesus' brothers. And I thought to myself, the way we treat these are the way Messiah feels like he's been treated himself. Because at the end of the age, when the Lord separates the nations like a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats, he's going to judge nations based on how they treated Israel. And And there are some nations, he's going to look at them, he says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And they're going to look and they're going to go, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry or thirsty? And he's going to look and he's going to say, and as much as you've done it to the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it to me. Anybody who could see Jesus walking in and we know it's Jesus, anybody can serve him. Anybody will bring him a glass of water, do anything for him. But what happens when Jesus appears in the form of maybe a people group and an ethnicity that you never considered before? As I, a Jew, never considered before. So it was at that moment that I knew I was supposed to start an organization that would bless the poor and needy in Israel, both Arab and Jew, especially the believers, Arab and Jewish believers living in Israel. That was at an underprivileged children's center in 2005. In 2016, we built our first playground at these children's centers. There's 85 underprivileged children's centers in the northern part of Israel. And I'm just going to show you a quick video that we sent to our partners because I I just got to tell you this testimony. It's really amazing. If you guys can turn up the volume on this, just take a peek at this. It's very short. It's just a minute long.
when he said, Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it to me. Let's bless the heart of Jesus together as we bless the children of Israel. That, that particular playground was the first one that we built. God TV came to me and said, hey, listen, we want to partner with Israel and we want to do it through Together for Israel. So we built this playground in a city called Beit Shan, Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. If I wanted to meet with an Orthodox Jewish mayor or rabbi, they'd have nothing to do with me. They'd view me as a traitor because I turned in their eyes from my, from my Jewish religion to this foreign religion called Christianity. But when these rabbis and mayors came and we cut the ribbon and dedicated this playground facility on TV, the mayor kissed me on both my cheeks and he said, you have no idea what you're doing for the children of Israel. And I looked at him and I said, I, I gotta tell you something. This isn't coming from me. This is coming from Christians around the world, real Christians who love Israel and who love the God of Israel. So that's what we do. Uh, last year, we were privileged to give close to $700,000 in support to believers in Israel. The playgrounds are just a very, very small thing, maybe 10% of what we're doing in Israel. But the, the, leader of one of, uh, the leader of all the playgrounds came to me at, at that first dedication service, and she said, hey, we've got 85 of these playgrounds. Do you think you can do one in each playground? I'm like, are you serious? That's 40,000 times 85. That's $4 million. So I looked at her, and I said, I can't, but I believe uh, that God is going to do something, and we're just going to start. So we're, we've got six done Six done, and um, I just want to encourage you, if, if you're interested in partnering with us, you can do that. Um, at our table, really quickly, we, we're selling these t-shirts, and all the funds that come in for this help us do what we're doing in Israel. It just simply says together. Romans 10.1, and Romans 10.1 says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. If you were with us last night and Bob got up, I really felt like that was a, that's, that's all he did, he quoted that scripture like 10 times. I felt like it was this prophetic insertion into what we're called to do and what we're called to be. And I'm just going to say this really quickly. If you're here, this is the last opportunity to partner with us. We're going to have a drawing um, tonight for all the new monthly partners, whoever is drawn. Uh, we're giving away a free trip to Israel, which we do at every church that we visit where um, they host these conferences. So you have to get these partner cards into our table before you leave today. And a partner is anybody that will stand with us for $20 or more a month. I want you to stand, please. I have a word for you today. I feel it's, a, it's an important word, not just for Israel. I'm just going to stand up here because you guys are standing and I can see you in the back. This word is not just important for Israel, but it's important for you. And I'm going to start today with a proclamation. There, there's something powerful about the words we speak. If you guys can put that proclamation up on the screen, that'd be great. This proclamation is directly out of the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 12, which we will be talking about today. Last week, any churchgoer in the United States would have celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. Good day, amen. 
Throughout the Bible, there's a pattern that we need to grab hold of, and the pattern is this, that God gives life to the dead. God gives life to the dead. He'll take something formless and void, and he'll pick up dust from the earth. He'll blow his breath into dust. You can't get more dead than dust. And man becomes a living being. And through, throughout the annals of Scripture, the pattern of God is that he has breathed into that, those things which were dead and has brought them to life. So I just want to proclaim this today, whether you believe it or not, it's in the Bible. I'm not asking you to repeat something that I made up. I'm asking you to repeat the word of God with me. Let's read this together, can we? With a little bit of conviction. Let's go. We believe in God. That which does not exist. Let's say it again. We believe in God who gives life to the dead and speaks into being that which does not exist today, Lord, in this place. We pray, great God, for life. The life of God. This is your word. This is your desire. This is your plan. For anybody that walked in here with things that ought to be living but are dead, great God, revive us. May life come for your glory. In the name of Jesus, our life giver, in whom is life, who came that we might have life. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Open up, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. God is about to give the promise of promises to Abraham, setting him apart to be ultimately the one that would fulfill the very thing written in Matthew 1, verse 1. Abraham, the man through whom Jesus, the life giver, would come, is about to receive a promise. I'm actually going to start by reading the verse before Genesis 12, 1. Genesis 11, verse 29 and 30. Look at this verse. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. It says, And Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. And Sarai was barren. Everybody say barren. She had no child. This is mind-boggling. We're going to read the promise that God's going to give to Abram just in the very next verses. But Abram is about to marry a barren woman. I'm going to give you four simple points today that may help you remember the message. My first point is this. God begins with barrenness. Every great thing that God is going to do 
is going to come out of something that had no capacity for life without him. Because if you can produce life yourself, you get glory for it. But when life comes out of something that is incapable of giving life, God gets glory out of it. So do you think, here's the Lord's up in heaven, and, and he's about to give this promise to Abram. And he sees Abram in this room full of women. As Abram starts eyeing Sarai, do you think God is going, oh, son, please don't get infatuated with her. She is barren. I mean, if I was God, I would point Abram in the direction of fertile women, especially if I was going to give him a good promise about having children. You understand what I'm saying? God begins with barrenness. If we think that in and of ourselves we have the, the capacity to produce something that will glorify us, that's all it will do is it will glorify us. But when we realize that we are incapable in and of ourselves of bringing a promise to pass, only God gets glory. We believe in God who gives life to the dead. That's the proclamation of Romans 4. I want that to be written over the hearts of everybody at heart of the Father today because that's the heart of the Father, to give life to the dead. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Everybody say, I will. If you write in your Bibles, I would circle every I will because when God says I will, you know something? He means I will. Listen to some of these I wills. And I will make you a great nation. Interesting. How can, he, how can Abram be a great nation? There's no capacity to even bear children. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. 75. And he's got this name. His name is Abram. As a matter of fact, every Jewish boy at their bris, which is another name for circumcision, is given a Hebrew name. And this is something that I have totally forgotten about till I spoke to my mother a month ago, and she reminded me, she goes, Scott, don't you know what your Hebrew name is? Well, I knew what my Hebrew name is, but I don't, that's not anything I think about. My Hebrew name is Avram. Abram. Do you know what Abram means? Abram in Hebrew means exalted father. I, I said at the outset that names matter, don't they? You name your kids for, for reasons, and, and those names are important. This place is named Heart of the Father. School's named Maranatha. The, the, these are important things. They carry the identity of 
who you are. Abram, exalted father, but there was a problem. He had no children. So the name that he bore for the first 75 years of his life contradicted his reality. And that sometimes God calls us to bear a name or a burden or a promise that looks utterly and completely impossible to the eyes of man. And it's all because of this process that God wants to do something in us. Did you ever meet a... Bro, what's your name again? Jack? No, Jack? No. Jad, 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 come up here. Okay. I mean, Jad is, Jad's got, he's got some, some stuff right here. Whoa, come on. Come on. All right, praise the Lord. I saw him in a, in a slightly, I saw him in a slightly tighter t-shirt the other day. Whoa. <laughs> Jad, Jad's name is Jad, but I said, what? If I would have gone up to Jad and said, hey, Jad, my name is Scott, and he said, hey, my name is Tiny, I would have laughed. Whoa. Because he's not tiny. The dude, okay, you can sit down, Jad. Thanks, man. <laughs> okay. He's, he, or, or what if we both compared names and we both had the same name and our name was Harry? <laughs> Harry? You don't have any hair on the top of your head. Well, my mother named me Harry when I was younger. I was born with a lot of hair, but you don't have hair now. It's, it's embarrassing when your name doesn't correspond to your reality. Because you, you always have to explain yourself. How do you have a name? You know, somebody knocks on his tent door. Hey, exalted father, where, where are your children? Well, it's a long story, but I don't have any yet. God begins with barrenness. He begins with what looks utterly and completely impossible to man in order that he can be glorified. And friends, I'm just going to tell you this from the outset. There are churches in America that are writing off Israel right now because they bear a name and a promise that looks very foreign to their earthly eyes. And so the churches are saying, well... God, God made that promise to Israel. Israel rejected Jesus, and so now the promise is on the church, and we are the chosen people. Well, friends, let me tell you this, and I love it. If you were at the conference, you would have heard, we've been grafted in. <laughs> we are now the chosen people and the royal priesthood, but we haven't stolen that from Israel. We've been grafted in to that tree. But Abram bore this name, and he's now 75 years old. I want to fast forward to Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Abram's now 83. Everybody say 83. He's 83, and he doesn't have any kids. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O oh Lord, what wilt thou give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram said, Since thou hast given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Look up here just for one second. Here's what Abram is doing. 
from my, I'm going to give you my lingo here. I'm going to rephrase this in Scott Volk translation. Lord, listen, I'm 83. I've been living with this promise of bearing children. It's not working. So let Eliezer be the heir. Because he was born in my house, part of my family, since I have no son, let Eliezer be the heir. Eliezer was the son of one of Abram's relatives. And the Lord says, what does the Lord say? Then behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. He'll be your heir. Point number one, God begins with barrenness. God begins with utterly and completely impossible situations so that he can be glorified. Point number two, avoid the Eliezer solution. Here's what the Eliezer solution is to me. To trying to, it's trying to get God out of the promise that he made so that you can have another alternative so that the nations of the earth can be blessed through somebody who already has kids, who has a fertile wife, who can produce a family. And God says, uh-uh. Do you ever try to dummy down a promise that God has made to you because it hasn't come to pass yet? Some of you may be living with promises that you've been holding on to for one year or 10 years or 30 years. We're so fickle in our, in our, in our ways. Some of my friends fast a lot. <laughs> I'm a horrible faster. The faster a fast is over, the happier I am. And I remember very vividly waking up one morning feeling like the Lord wanted me to fast, so I told my wife. I said, honey, fasting today. She goes, oh, that's awesome. What kind of fast? I said, no, just water. I'm fasting. God's called me to go on a fast. She goes, great, honey. I said, I support you. Well, about noon, <laughs> I'm thinking, I think the Lord wants me to go on a juice fast. <laughs> so I, I grabbed some juice out of the refrigerator. Said, Scott, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm, I'm so, I, need, I need like orange juice. I'm, I'm doing a juice fast. Well, about dinner time, it became a Daniel fast. <laughs> that, that's, what, that's what we do. We, we, we dummy down what God has told us to try to make it easier for us to bear the burden. And, and we'll, we'll even play these games in our mind. Well, God, all he did was call me to fast. All God did, well, I, I can't speak for what's in Abram's mind, but when I read this, it's like, if Eliezer could just be the heir, then when people tell me, what about that great promise that God gave to you, I could say, ah, here's the answer. But no, God asks us and requires us to live with the measure of inability 
so that he can come through gloriously. So we, we try to wiggle out of this uncomfortable, you know, Scott, your name really shouldn't be Harry. Your name should be Baldy. No, no, no. God gave me a name for a reason. And if we hang on to that with faith, God is going to be glorified. For your life and where Israel is concerned, we've dumped Israel, unfortunately, on the side of the road because Israel's older than 85 and they still haven't come into the promises that God wants them to, to be in. So what do we say? Point number one, God begins with barrenness. Point number two, avoid the Eliezer solution. Point number three, avoid the Hagar Solution. Abram is now 85. He's getting up there. 85. Genesis 16, verse 1 and 2. Genesis 16, verse 1 and 2. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. In the midst of Abram's and Hagar's miscalculation do you know that god named ishmael do you know that 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 i think there are about seven people in hebrew in in the scriptures that god pre-named i could be wrong but i'm within one or two and ishmael was one of them and that god made promises to hagar and ishmael one thing that i find in, in many circles that would call themselves pro-Israel is almost an anti-Arab sentiment. And that's one of the things that actually kept me from embracing God's heart for Israel. Not because I didn't think that God had a heart for Israel, but I didn't want to be associated with people who said, we hate Arabs, especially since I was married to one. That God has made a promise to Ishmael, and we, we've been chatting about this over the course of the last few days, that there are Muslims, Israel Jew-hating Muslims, who are having visions in the night of Jesus standing at the feet of their bed, waking up converted, bowing their knee to Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, and now having a love for Israel. One such believer came to us a few years ago, with a burden to start a church in his Muslim territory to preach the word of God and God's heart for Israel and the, and the Muslim nations. And we were able to plant a significant seed to see that church started. I love that. But even though God made a promise, the results of this have been cataclysmic through the centuries. As a matter of fact, some of you are leaving for Israel on Friday, and we're going to be praying for you as you go. 
But you can stand at the holiest site of all Judaism right now. It's called the Western Wall. It's, it's, the, it's the wall that's really the, what's it called? It's the, it's, it, it holds up the Temple Mount. There's four, four walls, east, west, west, north, and south. These walls hold up the platform of the Temple Mount upon which the Temple sat. It's a, it's a what's, that, what's that called? A, a what wall? Retaining wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who said, who yelled at me? Thank you for yelling at me. Retaining, Scott, I said it three times already. <laughs> Thank you. It's the retaining wall. So the, the Jewish people will get as close to that wall. They'll, they'll, they'll roll up prayers on, on, on little pieces of paper and they'll stick it into the cracks of the wall. You've seen pictures of this all the time. And it's phenomenal to see it in real life. Bar mitzvahs are performed there. Why is it the holiest place of all of Judaism right now? Because that's the closest place that Jewish men and women can get to where the Holy of Holies was, which was on the Temple Mount. And most Jews dare not go up onto the Temple Mount. So you could be at the holiest site of all of Judaism. You could be praying at the wall. And you'll see, you'll see Jewish people, they'll, they'll be up there praying, bowing, putting their whole bodies into these prayers. And while they're praying, just a few short meters away through the loudspeaker systems, you hear the Muslim call to prayer. Can, can you imagine that? Can you imagine in the middle of Corey leading worship this morning, we're focusing in on the Lord, and then all of a sudden, an intrusion of another God comes in, and it happens incessantly on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Avoid the Hagar solution. Because the Hagar solution produces something in the flesh all the time. And our tendency, our tendency, first tendency would be, okay, let's get rid of our barren wife and find a, a fertile wife. The next tendency would say, okay, if I'm not going to do that, at least let me get God to change his promise. And if he says, don't do that, then I may just take things into my own hands. Avoid the Hagar solution. You guys with me? God's about to do something in the life of Abram. He's going to change his name. I love this. Genesis 17, verse 1. We're just doing a little survey of Abram's life this morning. Genesis 17, verse 1. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, everybody say 99. Holy smokes, 90 honking nine. When I was 44, my wife came to me. I had four kids. My youngest one was 14 years old, and we were both 44. She said, honey, I think we're pregnant. I said, honey, I think we're not. <laughs> we were. <laughs> so I got a nine-year-old now. And I thought I was pretty cool for having a kid at 44. I brought my nine-year-old to the daddy-daughter dance at her school last year. One of her friends, oh, did somebody say aw? 
Oh, that's so sweet. So I bring her to the daddy-daughter dance. And one of her friends comes up and says, oh, did you bring your grandfather with you? <laughs> I didn't do that. But in my heart, I was like, are you serious? I'm only 44. But in, in, our, in our eyes, 44 is not the time to be having kids. Like, and, and Beth and I, all, we, we said we're going to have all of our kids before we're 30. And we did. Until. <laughs> He's 99. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. That's why I, I love these things. Uh, on, on, on the menorah, uh, I'm sorry, on the mezuzah, which is on the front of the doorpost of every house in Israel, it has the shin, it's the letter shin, Shaddai, God Almighty. Because when he shows up, everything changes. Do you know, and, and you'll see this in Jerusalem, there are three valleys that intersect Jerusalem itself. And if you have an aerial view of Jerusalem, those three valleys form the letter Shin. So it's like you're driving, you're flying over Jerusalem, and you see right there, written in the valleys of the city, God Almighty. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. But he's 99, God. He's 99. Verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Abram means exalted father. You know what Abraham means? Father of multitudes. God just upped the ante. <laughs> it's like exalted father. That's like what one kid would call you. Father of multitudes. You got to remember, this is in accordance with the promise that God gave Abram in Genesis chapter 12. A great nation is coming forth from you through whom every nation on the earth will be blessed. You're blessed because of Abraham. Because through Abraham's loins and Sarah's womb came Jesus. You know what's really interesting to me? Abraham's wife, barren. Isaac's wife, barren. Jacob's wife, barren. That's the lineage of Yeshua, because God Almighty shows up. What, what can happen in your life as, you, as you're hanging on to promises that are not yet fulfilled? Think about some of the things that God, God called you, and you might be 99, in, in, theoretically speaking, and in, in, it's like, I've been dealing with this for 100 years. So he changes his name from exalted father to father of multitudes. God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he identifies with these impossible situations. 
God's not unfeeling to what you're going through. You may feel like you've been doing it your whole life, but God just wants you to know, hey, hang on. I may even change your name, but I'm going to show up. No longer will your name be called Abram, but Abraham. He changes Sarai's name to Sarah. Look at Genesis 18, verse 9. the heat of day. Genesis 18 is one of, one of the most amazing chapters. I, I love preaching on hospitality from this chapter. We're not going to go there today. But I'll just tell you this. Anytime in Scripture where you see hospitality shown, the result is life. Everywhere. Hospitality brings life. Abraham and Sarah showing hospitality to these three men who they've, they've never seen before. They weren't wearing halos there wasn't gold dust around them, nothing, <laughs> nothing to signify that they were anything special. No, no, no outside manifestation of anything. Three dudes show up at a tent, and they start hurrying to fix these guys that they've never seen before. Some food. Some, some guys that Rahab never saw before showed up at, at her house. Rahab the harlot. Harlot. She houses these guys, and her and her family are saved. Everybody else dies. She has life. And the harlot is remembered in Hebrews chapter 11 as a woman of faith because she showed hospitality to strangers. Throughout the word, I don't have time to go into it. Hospitality brings life. Verse 9, then, then they said to him, the three men, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, behold, in the tent, the angel said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and underline this in your Bible. Sarah was past childbearing. Do, do, you, do you see the progression here? First, Sarah's barren. Now, not only is she still barren, but now she's past the age of bearing children. I am not a woman, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm just going to tell this like I can tell it. <laughs> Without be, trying to be politically correct or anatomically correct. She was done. There were, there were no eggs left in her womb to be fertilized. So if it was impossible for a barren woman to give birth, now there's nothing left. If I'm not mistaken, every, a woman, this is what I've been told, every woman is born with a certain number of eggs from their, from their birth. And once those eggs are, I don't know whatever happens to them. I actually do know what happens to them. We're definitely not talking about that today. <laughs> You're done. 
Every woman goes through this process. You're done. You've been through menopause. What does God say? I will surely return to you at this time next year. Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. God's timing is incredible. Point number one, God begins with barrenness. Point number two, avoid the Eliezer solution. Point number three, avoid the Hagar solution. Point number four, wait for the appointed time. Because the scriptures talk about appointed times, friends. The Hebrew word is moed. A time when God is going to meet with his people. Last week was Passover. That's an appointed time. Leviticus 23 talks about God's appointed times where he stoops down and meets you. Genesis 21, verse 1, Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. Do you guys get this? Do you see what God is doing? He's setting something up that is completely and inextricably impossible to fulfill so that he can be glorified. Abraham's body, as good as dead. Sarah's womb, dead. Let me introduce you to Mr. Dead and Mrs. Dead. Because that's the breeding ground for God's glory. And out of that dead womb is the one who came to save the world. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Some of you have things that are dying inside because of a lack of Lack of progress. Maybe even it's been digress. Maybe you started barren, so to speak, and now you're beyond the age of bearing children. <laughs> Throw in the towel. That's what the world would say. Maybe even some good Christian counselors would say you need to stop holding on to that promise that God gave you. It's not what God says. It's not what he says about Israel. It's not what he says about you. Corey, I want, would you... Would you come up with your worship team? I want to close with a song. <clears throat> Romans chapter 11, verse 15 says this. Please don't leave. I, I really want you to stay to the end. If, if you have to go, go. But we're only going to be a couple more minutes, but I believe God wants to do something, and I don't want you to miss an opportunity. Romans 11 Verse 15 says, if Israel's rejection was the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be 
but let's read it together. Life from the dead. Because Israel rejected Jesus, it was the reconciliation of the world. If you're sitting here and you're not Jewish today, it blesses me so much. Because Israel's rejection of Jesus was the reconciliation of the world. The world, God in his sovereign plan made a way. For God so loved the world. That didn't say for God so loved Israel that he sent his son. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want you to stand with me. <clears throat> Close your eyes, I'm going, to read a, I'm going to read a scripture that sometimes has become so common that we, we don't listen. But I want you to close your eyes. I want you to concentrate just for this moment because I believe the Lord wants to speak to you through this scripture. The hand of the Lord was on me brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry, and he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones. And say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord said to these bones. I will make breath enter you. You will come to life. I will attach tendons to you. And make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together. Bone to bone, I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds. And breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded, as he commanded me. And breath entered them. And they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. And we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you back, bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done it declares the Lord. Friends, after 2,000 years of exile, 
after 2,000 years of a language being dead, after 2,000 years of a barren wasteland being basically uninhabitable, God brings his people back to Israel. Supernaturally, that desert that was written about by many authors who visited there as an, visited there as an uninhabitable wasteland has become the largest distributor of fruits and flowers, one of the largest distributors in the entire Middle East. This barren wasteland is, is fertile with fruit and trees and flowers. A religion that was once dead Hebrew is now back to life. A people that were once forsaken or, or dispersed out of their land are now back in it. Where we're seeing something, maybe there's still more to this prophetic word that still needs to be fulfilled. But if God can do it for Israel, he can do it for you. I want you to lift your hands with me. Bro, can you sing out this, this song? I just want to sing this out as a prophetic declaration. Please don't go. I want to pray for you. And, and by the way, if there's anybody in here while we're singing that needs prayer for life, I just want you to come forward as we're singing. We're going to pray, but we're not going to dismiss yet. Sing this out. Yeah. God Almighty. God Almighty. Stretch your hands out before we sing the bridge to this song. Father, in Jesus' name, for each one 
is believing you for life today. You give life and hope. We believe you, great God, who gives life to the dead and speaks into being that which does not exist for the life of God to come. The life of God. Every hope restored. Every heart strengthened because of the God who gives life to the dead. You give life, Lord. You open barren wombs. You open barren wombs. You restore promises. You bring hope. You restore broken hearts. You do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. So great God, manifest your presence. Manifest your presence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, we trust you. We trust you.